So hi, and welcome to the Writer's Basement Podcast. I am Tim. He is Keith. God kill me now. And uh, before we get to our topic, which is going to be the do's and don'ts of production. Yes. Uh, I would like to remind you that you should go like, share, and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and give us a five-star review because we're awesome. Uh, and then you can go to our Patreon and become a patron of the show where you'll get exclusive content like extra long episodes, a bonus episode if you pay enough money, and uh, bloopers and other content that you won't get if you don't subscribe. If you pay enough money. If you pay enough It's a money. couple bucks. It's not like... It's not, it's, it's not terrible. It's not very... We're not asking for much. Yeah, it's not very expensive um and uh, like us on facebook share us on facebook at some point i'll put a twitter together but not right now because i don't like twitter that much okay uh so this episode is the do's and don'ts of production which we both have experience in yeah i don't know um i think i don't know if it made it into episode three or if it was the bonus content for episode three but it, we started getting into things that have gone wrong it was the bonus content was for the episode bonus three. Content. Yeah, we talked about uh, if something goes wrong. So in the in that uh, bonus content, we talked about uh, if something goes wrong in production, there's at least like seven or eight people that are responsible for why it went wrong. Yeah, we also talked about all the times that we have gotten injured. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or have seen people get injured mm-hmm. on set. So, and that's a small sampling of those times. Yeah. Um I forget what year it was. It was seven years ago. Okay. Seven years ago when we did those two uh, shorts. And uh, yeah. So it's raining because, of course, it is. It rained for both of them. Uh, it rained for two weekends the whole time we were shooting. It was raining. Um, so there's a reason why I never leave set without uh, eyes on the set, which I had learned the hard way. So they're, they're up there, they're fighting, they're going to do a fight, and the fight choreographer is up there, so they should be safe. Uh, so I leave set. I go down to uh, base camp, if you want to call it that. I go down to the parking lot. I think I'm waiting for somebody to arrive. I come back up. They are carrying an actress down the field. They're carrying her. She is hysterical, and she's crying. So, here's what happened. I left the set. Fight director decided he was going to use that time, which this is why we have very specific orders in which we do things. You might think that somebody from the outside is going to think that it's not, um, it's not optimized, but it is. Yes, we waste a lot of time, but purposefully. There's a reason we do things in a set order. I leave set, the fight director decides, he's listening to this now. Um, He did like the podcast. He did like the podcast. (laughs) That they're going to run it. Okay? Nobody checked the lanes. Nobody checked the ground to see what was in their lanes. So, one of the actors slipped and hit a rock. And busted her knee open. And she's not crying because it hurts. It hurts. She's not crying because it hurts. 
she's crying because her uh, apprenticeship for construction is coming up and she this is going to ruin that and it's going to ruin her career and it's going to ruin her life that is why I don't leave set I, if I have to leave set I don't leave set without eyes on the set there's a very good reason why we lock first then light then shoot and there you know if you depending on what crew you're on what part of the crew you're on you may show up set and do nothing for an hour and feel like that's wasted time but it's not because certain things have to happen before the next thing can happen same shoot these two fucking idiots <laughs> yes I, I was i was there for this one yeah i wasn't i walked past the tent they were fine I walked past the tent again. He was bleeding. So yeah, in this one, I was uh, I was an extra, and I had I think like a PA role. I was running around doing stuff, and I had just come back from shooting. I was sh- they were shooting a background fight with me and the actor who got his nose broken, <laughs> and so we had just we had just finished a, a scene, and they were they were checking the gate. And we were all just in, we had a pop-up tent for our green room because it was raining. So we didn't want to get our makeup all wet and everything. And the, the actor that I was uh, fighting with went up to one of the other actors who was dressed like a tiger lion. What what the fuck was he? I don't know. I don't know. It was something. He was a were lion. We'll call him that. Sure. And they were just fucking around, having a good old time, and they decide to do a stage headbutt. Now, when you do a stage headbutt, you have to confirm with the person you're doing the stage headbutt with which way your head's going to go and which way their head's going to go. Because if you fuck it up and you both go the same way, someone's going to get their nose broken. So you got his nose broken. We're shooting. It's the middle of a shoot day. He just breaks his nose. Just breaks on purpose. Just breaks. I'm sure it was on purpose to spite me. Because <laughs> it's already pouring. Everything that's gone wrong, that that could go wrong, has gone wrong. And uh, they're just fucking around in the tent, and he just breaks his nose. Just breaks his nose yep. for no reason. And then I'm like, oh, what the fuck are you guys doing? <laughs> they got <laughs> bored. He's our, he's our lead actor. Why are you breaking his nose? They get bored. That's what they do. Luckily, he broke his nose after all the important scenes he had to film. Yeah. Pull, pull him, show on a set. They're bored. They're going to get bored. Yeah. It's just how it is. Um, They're not used to it. So don't leave your actors unsupervised. Don't leave Because they'll break each other. They will break each other. <laughs> they'll get bored, and they'll just go do the dumbest shit. Just the, they're like five-year-olds. Just the dumbest thing you can imagine. That's what they want to do. Yeah. They, they've been, I mean, they've been there for eight hours already. They got there at five in the morning. They've been there for eight hours. There's another eight hours to go. They're bored. Yeah. They've been in like two shots so far. And, uh, they want to just, they just want to wander off. <laughs> want to wander off and eat something poisonous. Or just go pee in the woods and get caught. They want to get the cops called on them for fucking around. They, they're like little children. They want to go, they want to get high and wander off. That's what they want. Yeah. Uh, let's see, what's another good one for... What, things that have gone wrong? Things that have gone wrong. Uh, 
this is more of a post-production don't, but make sure. And and I'm and I don't know if I mentioned this in the first episode or not. I don't know if we talked about the document, the Renaissance or documentary or not. We talked about it a little bit, but do not use different cameras. Oh, when you are shooting. Well, so because they all have different aspect ratios. They do. So Adobe takes any kind of footage from anything. Oh, it will. It'll take any footage you want. It'll take cell phone footage, it, anything. Any device, it'll take footage. Uh, but yeah, they're different aspects. They're different aspect ratios, and they're different frame rates. And... So so this was, this was when I was very new to filming, and I was directing. And I was like, we need cheap cameras, because this is something that we're doing on... We're basically doing this on the fly, because it's a documentary. Yeah. And we need cameras that are mobile and cheap, because I didn't have a lot of money, and Kickstarter only paid for so much. So we got at the time the, the there were these popular cameras. They were flip cameras. They had a USB port, and some of them had internal batteries. Some of them didn't. But they shot in standard definition. They were not SDLR cameras. No. <laughs> they were not high definition 4K cameras. But for the most part, they worked out pretty good. And we did have a three CCD camera that we used for. Uh, like stationary shots yeah and that camera had its own problems but <laughs> like color correction um but oh yeah we had our friend Corey, who is a professional director of photography yep come in with his fancy camera with his sdlr camera i don't remember what kind of camera it was it was brand spanking new when he bought it yeah um and he shot us a bunch of b-roll yeah, and then the, quality, <laughs> so the qualities don't match. I have I have continuous problems with sound. No matter what I do, there's always a problem with sound. So yep. I have this new problem, uh, and it happens anytime I try to use a Tascam or a Zoom recorder. Is uh, the audio only goes to one channel? So we have for a lot of this now, we have a shotgun mic on one channel and a mm. lapel mic on another channel. And the idea was you could just pick whichever one. Well, you wouldn't have to pick whichever one. You okay. cut back and forth between them. You just cut back and forth. Mm. Except one of them is all to the right side. And one of them is all to the left side. Oh, jeez. They're too different, so they can't be intercut. Uh-huh. Uh, so they have to be simultaneous in the final product. And that means so every audio file now uh-huh. has to be taken, put into Adobe made stereo cleaned up then exported Jeez. then the other one has to be taken put into adobe made stereo cleaned up and exported and then they can go <laughs> together into premiere as a dual track jesus yeah we have sound is hard sound is hard and we ran into these problems with the documentary too where some of the mics on the cameras weren't the greatest um, they all filmed. They all filmed in stereo, but the problem was is that you would get muffled noises. One camera would pick up too many things because the mic was crap. Yeah. One camera wouldn't pick enough things because the mic was set too low. Like it was, it was taxing because in the editing, it made editing go so much longer. Yeah, and that's what I'm running into now. It's just, it's the sound problems are making editing go way, way longer than it should. Um. It's just, audio's hard. 
Yeah, I would say for audio, like, make sure. You gotta really know what you're doing, or get somebody, hire somebody who really knows. Uh, yeah, hire doing. a sound engineer. Yeah, somebody who really knows, hire them. Hire, uh, hire someone who knows how to operate a boom and one of those mixers. Because otherwise, uh, it's it's just it just becomes a nightmare in post. Yeah, but uh, how what other stories where people somebody's got hurt? I mean, we've so, seen a lot of people get hurt. I mean, this isn't like we do a lot of stunts. We, yeah, we this isn't like video for, production no, stuff. But we did stunts. For I've gotten years. I've gotten stabbed a few times. Yeah, I've gotten hurt. So um, all right, so stage combat stuff. Uh, the very first time that I got hit in stage combat was like, I don't know, the second or third year that I was doing it. And we were in, in a parade. Oh, God. And, so this uh, is in front of an audience. This is in front of an audience. Uh, it was a very simple fight. And the my fight partner uh, did not remember one of the moves. She went low when she should have went high. And she caught me right in the stomach uh, with the sword. Now, luckily, these are all stage swords and they're dulled. So I didn't actually get cut or anything. But there was a bruise on my stomach for quite some time. Uh, that yeah. was the first time I've ever gotten hit. I've gotten hit several more times since then. I, uh, I just... I've gotten hit in the hands... Hands is a common one, especially when you do dagger fights. People always fucking whack you in the hands. I really haven't got hurt. I have. Oh, I've gotten hurt. Um, that's 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 an idiot thing to say. To say I haven't really gotten hurt. <laughs> I've gotten hurt. Um, I have a shoulder dislocated. Uh, uh, pulled things on my back. Yeah, uh, I've. I messed up my knee. I have a birth defect in my knee, which I haven't felt. I haven't felt it there since high school. And then around a couple years ago, I think it was probably 2018, I was like, well, I'm running myself so so much into the ground, I can feel my birth defect again. Uh-huh. Um, I've lost cartilage. I've, I haven't gotten stabbed. When I say I haven't gotten hurt, I haven't gotten stabbed. Oh, okay. I've gotten almost stabbed twice. Um, we were doing a five-person fight in the round. Yeah, in the um, round means there's no um, there's no like fourth wall to hide everything because the audience is all around you, three hundred sixty degrees. Yeah, so your angles so, in your fight have to be really tight. Yeah, and everything has to be really close. Um, and it's a lot like in the round. It's a lot like a wrestling match where you have to be a lot closer. All of your arm stuff has to be really close because otherwise the audience will see the air between you and the person you're trying to punch. And I was, I was, the move was, <laughs> I was doing a spin to get to a block with my spear. Before I do that spin, uh, one of the other fighters is supposed to thrust at my left side. Yeah. His thrust came in way too close as I was spinning. And his cross guard caught me right in the stomach. Now, you can't see my shape because this is an audio thing. <laughs> but I'm a rounder person. So it's really easy to catch me in the stomach. 
So he cuts me in the side, cuts my shirt. I get cut. It's not super deep because it's only the cross guard. But I feel it happening as it happens. I'm like, fuck, he cut me. God damn it. And then we get through the rest of the fight because I'm a professional. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, after the fight, I go to the medic and I see, you know, the guy cut. They stitch me up. And uh, my wife has to sew my shirt back together. Yeah. And the next day. It's the next weekend. The next weekend. Because it was a Sunday when it happened. All right. So the next Saturday, show goes up again. Fucking cuts him again. Yeah. Same spot, same, same spot, move. Like two inches above the original. Because I can see where the shirt's been stitched up. <laughs> two inches above the first cut, there's a new one. The shirt is cut. The flesh underneath <laughs> the shirt is cut. Again. Uh, we got to do something. I, I don't know how you're getting stabbed. And we all thought that he was getting stabbed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how you're getting stabbed. So then we went and redid it and redid it and redid it and redid it and redid it. We practiced it for hours and hours and hours. Slow. Slow, slow. Couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. So on a sword, the the cross guard, the part that isn't up and down. Yes, the part that's side to side. That's protecting your hands side. from getting whacked. Yeah, the hand guard. So he was catching him with the with the uh, with the corner of the hand guard. So he wasn't stabbing him. It wasn't like a stab. It wasn't a nice stab or a slice. That's <laughs> something you would do like a kitchen knife. No, the tip, the edge of the cross guard. He caught him on and dragged it. Yeah, it was a very, like, not to get graphic, but it was like a jagged, shallow cut. Yeah, it's not something you do (laughs) on accident. He had to forcefully hit the wrong place and put pressure there and fucking push. Yeah. You have to push hard to get that to cut. And I think we eventually discovered that it was the spacing because the circle was smaller than we were anticipating. Yeah, and we had practiced it forever. We practiced it for three months straight, and we yeah. weren't. We, we put didn't. A, we put so many hours into that fight, and we the only other time someone got injured was when uh, we got whacked one. on the head. No, there was another one. So, so a guy that we worked with, who we don't work with anymore, we only worked with that year. There was a move where I uh, manipulate his arm out of the way, and I'm supposed to elbow him in the side. <clears throat> and so I do it one day. I must have done it too hard. Because I broke his fucking ribs. And he didn't tell us that I broke his ribs until the end until the end of the run. So he did this fight for three weeks with a cracked rib. Jesus. And didn't tell any of us <laughs> until it was over. And wouldn't tell any of us how it happened. Yeah. And then I figured out how it happened. I did it. I elbowed him too hard and I must have cracked his rib. And then he got hit in the head. Yeah. These things happen. When you're doing stunts, they happen. Um, other things that can happen when you're doing, let's say, live stage performance outside is it rains. It does rain. People slip. Mm-hmm. I know I've slipped a few times. Uh, nothing that nothing that ruined a fight. So last year, <clears throat> last year at, at, the, at the fantasy fair. I have a fight. I don't want to fight at this point. I'm done fighting. I want to retire. I just want to retire. <laughs> I swear to God, I don't want to fight anymore. I'm too old. I'm too slow. I'm not as fast as I used to be. I'm hurt. I've been hurt. I got hurt over six years. It's like, it adds up. You know? So, it rains. And I go, okay. Well, I'm going to go out in the field. Because we, have, we have an exhibition coming up. It's a lot of fighters. I'm in there. I'll go out on the field, and I'll do my fight, and if I slip, because I'm also the director this year. Yeah. For this year. Uh, if I slip, 
then we're not doing the scripted fights that are later on in the day. Right. Grass is too wet. I slipped. Yeah. And I have hip dysplasia uh, from an accident when I was a kid. Uh, so I slipped, and I would have, like, torn my shit up, but <laughs> my hips bend that way. Um, so I, I hurt myself a little. So I slipped. I said, we're not doing it. We're not doing the fights later. The ground's too wet. They decide they're going to do it fucking anyway. Oh, the scripted fights? Yeah. yeah. So they do, uh, I think it was the end of the day. It was something. Something. It was either, was it the it was either right then or it was the end of the day. Okay. Uh, or it was the middle of the day. It was it was somewhere in one of those fights where the actor slipped and one of the actors punched the other one right in the fucking head. Because oh, they slipped. yeah. Right in the goddamn head. And they got armor on and <laughs> he's got armor on. But the only place he doesn't have armor on is his fucking head. <laughs> So the the armored gauntlet, and this is not like stage armor. It's heavy yeah. as shit. They wanted real armor. It's fucking plate metal on a wrist, and she just bam right in his fucking. She dumped him because <laughs> she slipped because it was wet. Yeah, and I said not to because it was wet, and they fucking did it anyway. And this happens every time it rains, and I go, I go. Should we be fighting now? Should we call call it? And they always yeah. go, no, no, we won't call it. Somebody always gets hurt. Yeah, yeah. Um, other times where I've I've very nearly gotten injured is when my partners were going too hard. Uh, and, there's a lot of them that go too hard. Um, so this is and this is a this is an us problem. But this goes all the way to the top, and it gets worse at the higher you go. Um. Because, so, stuntmen are, stuntmen in the industry are treated like disposable trash. Yeah. Actors, generally, unless you're Keanu Reeves, will not learn fight choreography. Right. They'll get trained on how to move, they'll go to the gym a bunch, they'll have a pretty good idea what the fight's gonna be, but they don't teach choreography, they don't learn it, they don't want to. Mm -hmm. They don't have to, they're actors, they don't have to learn choreo. So they end up treating the stuntmen like disposable trash. You know, I'm going to hit that guy, and then I'm going to hit that guy, and yeah. then I'm going to hit that guy. And what you're doing is fucking dangerous, you <laughs> goddamn diva piece of shit. Nobody cares about the stunt guys. Yeah. They're they're disposable. You break a stunt guy's neck, there's 80 of them lined up. Yeah. Just pull another one. Um. So the most recent one was we were in a big the big melee fight at the end last year. And so the melee is supposed to go where both sides, you know, charge in. And I, I take the first hit as defensive on my shield against a guy mm. who's wielding an axe. Mm. Now, this isn't like a regular axe. This is a fully made out of steel, handle and all, one piece axe. Yeah. So it's not, it's, it's less of a weapon and more a giant pea hunk of metal. Yeah. It weighs like, at least 15 pounds. Yeah. And he he charges me full force and it hits my shield. And my shield, I have a, two leather straps and like an idiot, I don't put padding in, but I have bracers that I wear under the shield. And I feel it in my bones. Yeah. And afterwards, I'm like, dude, what the fuck were you doing? Mm -hmm. Like, you almost took my arm off. He's like, oh, I got really excited. I was like, well, maybe not do that next time. Yeah, I, I fought a lot of people who, who hit like a truck. Who hit like a truck. And it's just a niche problem, and it. it's just like a little, tiny little box. I think it's us just, and, like, pro wrestlers have that problem. Yeah, it's like a tiny little, it's a little, little pond. 
and you got you know and you have historical reenactors and, yeah. and, and people who get in the get in the armor and they just wail on each other and regardless of what my opinion on that is uh, then these people will try to have advice for stage combat. Yeah. And go, well, if this, then if X, then Y. And if I was there, then my, my dude, <laughs> I don't know how to explain this to you. It's not real. <laughs> it's like wrestling. It's fake. Yeah. He, he does that. He, he, yeah, he made, he left himself open and I didn't kill him. Do you know why? We're acting. It's, it's supposed to be for show. Yeah, it's for, for fun. show. It's for audience. You're not supposed to be I, like, oh, well, I would murder that guy there. Yeah, I don't know how to explain this to you, but uh, it's not real, buddy. It's not real. And one of these guys, so I had an actor who wanted full armor, because I have another actor who's an egomaniac, <laughs> and he wanted full armor. So the other actor also wanted full armor. The other actor's female. And female armor is fucking hard to find, <laughs> especially functional. It's hard to find. Uh, she ended up ordering... I think it was a chess piece was supposed to be her size wouldn't fit me <laughs> like this is for this is for I don't know who this is for this is for a mannequin uh, I, so it's hard to find she's looking for advice and one of these guys is like giving unsolicited advice that's not helpful at all yeah. it's all about armor and historical reenactment and blah 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 well I might and, ugh, God, I had to have the general manager talk to him and be like listen you're pissing off my actor. Shut up. <laughs> and and you're right. It is a very it is a very niche set of problems. But it, it is a very niche I think set when of you problems. boil it down to like the 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 moral of the story, yeah, is uh, make sure your actors aren't trying to murder each other or themselves or themselves. Or themselves. So we pull back to like a stunt perspective, yeah, for for a film. People get hurt. Yeah. They get hurt bad. You, you have to assume that your actors don't know how to shoot on the walk at the same time. So you got to hire a stunt coordinator who who has experience with that, who can teach, who can guide them. Yeah. Just assume all your actors are infants. And uh, I know this is a writing podcast, so let's go. Let's rewind four months. <laughs> so when you're in the writing room, how do you write a fight? Here's how you write a fight. In a screenplay, at least. I don't know how to write a fight realistically for for Paige. Um, I think... It's tough to do. You mean like in a novel? Yeah. It It is difficult. I usually imagine it like I'm writing for screen, and I put in, like, you know, actions and reactions, basically. Yeah. So here, if you're writing, if you're writing combat of any kind in a screenplay, here's what you do. Write as little as possible. Yeah. You write only... You don't put choreo in there. You do not write choreo. Unless it's super important to the story. Unless it's... Unless it's extremely important to you that one guy kicks the other guy in the chest at a specific point. You do not write choreo. You do not write moves. You write very simply and as little as possible about what's supposed to happen in yep. the fight. And then when you get to set and we get to pre-production... Fight choreographer fills in those blanks. Yeah. That's his job. That is not your job. If you write a detailed fight with moves and everything else, and it gets picked up, even if it's by, like, a friend who directs sometimes, what he's going to do is cross that out. Because it's, it's unusable. I, it's a good thing for the reckoning that I'm the writer and the director. Yeah. He's going to cross <laughs> that out. Because you don't know. What do you know about fighting? You don't, you're not a stunt guy. You're a writer. It, it's better just 
leave it as vague as fucking possible. And then the director and the fight choreographer, which is usually... So in Hollywood, they don't have fight choreographers. They have, right. they have second unit directors, and they have stunt coordinators. Those guys will fill in the blanks. They'll write the fight for you. You you don't write the fight. I wrote the fights. Yeah, I know you wrote the fights. Um, <laughs> that's its own problem. But that's... like I said, at least I'm the director, and I know... I know that they can be changed or scaled back if they need to, yeah. because I did write some pretty extreme things in there. Oh, no, I'm going to go full, full fucking force ahead. <laughs> fucking do it. I know how Even... ridiculous those fights are. <laughs> They're going to do it until I get it right or get hurt. Um, let's see. what What's another good do's and don'ts? I, that's that's actually a good one for writing, is, is if you're writing for stage or if you're writing for screen, uh, don't write the choreo yourself. Because, no, don't write the choreo and don't even try. Yeah. Uh, in writing novels for, for writing fights, I would just... The way I do it is I imagine it in my head because I have a lot of stage experience and I have a lot of fight experience. So I imagine what the fighters would do in my head or what the characters would do in my head and then I put that down. That you want to be detailed about because then you're talking about, you know, he thrusts to, you know, he tries to thrust at the guy's heart and the guy gets out of the way, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You're trying to get in details there so that you're giving the characters agency for their fights. Yeah, it's the opposite problem. You want you want as much detail as possible because, again, it's a novel. You have infinite yeah. pages. You want to talk you about... You can slow down time and just yeah. go over every little thing. You want to talk about, are, are they bleeding? Are they sweating? What Are they breathing heavy? You know, what are they thinking about while they're going through this fight in... My fantasy novel, uh, one of the fights that I wrote was between two fighters. They were having like, well, one of the fighters was trying to take the other one as a prisoner so he could get a bounty on him. And the fighter who was trying to capture the other one knew fire magic in addition to his sword fighting. So he used fire on his blade and the way I described it was the other character felt like he was being touched by the sun every time the sword came in contact with him. Yeah. That's, so, so that's completely different. Yeah. And then, so what happens is if that, you know, you saw a lot of copies of the book. Yeah. Saw a shit ton of copies. And then Netflix calls you up and goes, we want, give me your, give me the rights to your book. We're going to do this. I'll just pay what? 10,000. Fine. Here. <laughs> give me your, give me your fucking rights. And so they hire a screenwriter, and uh, when it comes to that part in the script, it's going to be mostly blank. Yeah. It's going to yeah. be mostly blank. And then, hopefully, the guys that are in charge of that will have, like, looked at the, the fight that you wrote. Maybe they haven't. <laughs> they might just make something up. I mean, I got my $10,000. I'm happy. Yeah, that's it. You got your shut-up money. You're done. <laughs> Um, the only thing I would put in the contract is like, I want to be on set, but I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. Every, every, <laughs> every actor with more than 18 IMDb credits is, uh, legally required to give me a firm handshake. Yeah, exactly. I, exactly. I want that in my contract. Um, I want to, I want to meet the main characters Yeah. and I want to just sit next to the director on set so I can talk to him. Yeah. I'll bring a Game Boy. Yeah. It'll be fun. <laughs> That's all I want. Uh, what's another good? What's another good do or don't? Don't make a movie. You don't make a movie. Don't. Don't make a movie. Just don't. Oh, don't have too many writers. Don't have too many writers. We we have this problem. So I have an, I have an inclusivity problem. I think. 
I, I want everybody to feel like, you know, they did good. Uh, I want to give everybody who, who, who wants to do something a chance to do it. That's how you end up with nine writers. Now, um, this is, this is specific to making a movie or making a television show that isn't strictly comedy, but for comedy, you want, comedy, lots, you want of writers. lots of writers. You want, you want a team and that's handled a different way. So you'll have a main writer and you'll have a bunch of other quote unquote writers. <laughs> they don't actually write anything. They just, they're just, most of the time they just sit in the room. Yeah. And they pitch jokes. Yeah, That's it. No, a lot of times they sit there and do nothing. <laughs> there are some comedy writers who just need somebody in the room. Yeah. And they're usually like first time, this is their first time out of school or whatever. Yeah. And this is their first real job writing. And so they sit down and they start saying things. They're like, no, 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 no. Shut up, <laughs> co-writer. You, I, you're not allowed to say anything. Yeah. I just need a body right there, and you do not say anything, and I write. Um, that's how a lot of comedy writer writers rooms go. Yeah, a lot of the writers you have a team of like nine writers, and maybe maybe like they've said like three sentences total through the whole through the whole writing process. Yeah. They will like pitch something real funny. But here's the thing. If you're a comedy writer, you're on a team, and you pitch something, and it doesn't, it doesn't, it falls flat. Yeah. Oh, boy, you're close yeah. to being fired. So you got to be real careful with what you say and what you don't say. And what happens, especially a lot with, like, late-night TV writing and uh, strictly comedy shows, maybe sitcoms, um, you get experience by just being in the room. And then when you say write a spec script for another comedy that's your comedy, yeah, you can say, "Oh, I was in the writers' room with the Late Show with Stephen Colbert, yeah. or I was on SNL, or I was on this or that." That gives you credibility, even though you may not have contributed. You can say, "I was in the writers' room. This is my script for this show that I think will be hilarious. Please take me seriously." Yeah, um, but so when you're, you know, it, when you're independent and you're writing by yourself. Write by yourself. Yes. Have one writer. Uh, it cocks things up. It does not make it go faster. It makes it go slower. Because you may you may churn out a first draft in half the time, but then you're going to have to go back and revise it eight times. Because somebody's not going to like what somebody else did. Um, I would say another, another do is once you are finished with whatever you're writing, have someone else goddamn read it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Someone else for, who one you for, can trust. One for spelling and grammar, and then have somebody else read it just, just to tell yeah. you how shitty it is. Yeah. Um, for both of those, that's my wife. <laughs> uh, but yeah, have someone else read it because what appeals to you is not necessarily what appeals to the audience you're trying to reach. Unless the audience is you. Unless you're just writing for yourself. Don't do that. It's bad. Um, but you, I mean, I guess you, you need could, but God, why? You need someone to gauge how much you're connecting with your audience. You need to find like a sample audience of one and say, "Read this. Is it good? What do I need to change? What are your thoughts?" And after they tell you you're the worst writer ever, uh, go yeah. back and revise it. Because if you don't. Uh, you'll end up with something that maybe you didn't explain something fully. Like I know oftentimes like I have a lot of things in my head when I'm writing that I don't necessarily put down on the paper 
And then they're like, oh, well, what is this? Explain this. I don't understand what this is. You know, this scene doesn't make sense because you didn't explain what the characters are doing fully. Or uh, especially for writing, writing like novels, you maybe you left out details about something that's super important that you meant to write down, but you didn't. Yeah. It is... There's a lot of... The editing process is important, is what I'm saying. Yes. Uh, edit often. Because writing is never a finished product until it's published and or on the screen. Um, you might think it's perfect, but other people might have ideas that would make it better. Yeah, just don't make a movie. Yeah, don't make a movie. Just don't make a movie. Um, don't, do don't make web series. Don't, don't make a web series. Don't make a web comic. God, don't make a web comic. Uh, there are so many fucking... The market's so flooded now. Nobody's gonna read it. Don't make a web... Don't do a podcast either. Nobody's gonna listen to it. <laughs> no, no one. No one will uh, listen to it. Don't make documentaries because they're not gonna go the way you think they're gonna go. They're also not profitable. Um... For the Renaissance Fair documentary, we we actively decided not to come up with a story until we had finished filming. Yeah, that's generally how documentaries go. Which was a good idea. Um, because editing can change lots of things. Uh, Don't worry, I've lost my points halfway through, too. Yeah, fuck a that lot shit. Of them. Just fuck it. Fuck it. <laughs> Fuck it. How, where are we at? We need at like minutes? five minutes. God damn it. I didn't mean to fuck everything up. I just... It's okay, I ran out of shit to talk about. I also ran out of shit to talk about. I've listened to... Let's talk about stuff. pre-pro. Let's not talk about pre... I, my, so, my Keith... Fucking, my hands are on my mouth. That's why I suspect Actually, that. Keith, you just finished a project. I did just finish a project. Puppets. Uh, so, what have you learned yes. from your puppet videos? What have I learned from my puppet videos? Okay, so there there are certain ways that puppets are done in Hollywood, okay, and then there are ways that that hobbyists want to do it, okay, and people who are like at the local level want to do it. There's there's a way to do it. There's a way they do it at the top, and there's the fucking around that we did. The way you do it at the top. The way that it's done on Muppets on Sesame Street, the way that it is done is your puppeteers are kneeling or sitting on the ground, and the rig is above them. Okay. And then you elevate all your actors, you have them stand on something, so that they look higher than they up higher than they are. Okay. Okay? You do not have your puppeteer laying on the fucking ground with their arms straight up. Okay. Because they can't see now. And they need a monitor. And that just causes all kinds of problems. Sound. I Get somebody who knows how to use a Tascam. Who knows specifically how to use the Tascam. Okay. Because now I have sound problems that I can't fix. Okay, and I don't want to do reshoots. But I have sound problems that I can't fix. Uh, and have a have like a direct line with your editor <laughs> at all times because <laughs> every weekend that I was shooting, I was getting calls from 
from the editor telling me how something was unusable uh-huh. from the previous weekend. Um, that is what I also learned that if you're doing this in the middle of 2020, kind of better off not doing it because you can't have that many people in the room. Yeah. Yeah. You can't have all the people that you need. Uh, it's kind of a fool's errand at this point. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, you know, a lot of productions have stopped. Yeah. And we're going to see where we get with the next one. We're going to see how far we get. Um, but I don't know what's going to be possible. Yeah, I don't... And then after that is a bigger production. I don't know <laughs> if that's going to be possible. And after that is the biggest production. I don't know if that's going to be possible at all. Yeah. This year, next year, or the year after. Uh, I don't know how long this is going to go on. Well, I saw I saw a thing um, somewhere online that said that there's going to be a, a TV show shortage. There is. Because nobody's shooting. <laughs> That networks are scrambling to find content yeah, because should. they're going to run out. Yeah, they're going to run out. So now's a real good time. <laughs> real good time makes pilot. <laughs> Send you off to NBC. A pilot that doesn't require a lot of people. Pilot doesn't require a lot of people. It's, yeah, it, it's, it's tough. It's tough logistically. But, um... So, is there anything that you learned from this that you would change for the, so let's say, whatever yeah. next project you're doing, yeah. what what is what are you going to do differently that you learned that you didn't do before? I absolutely have a scripty. 100% of the time. <laughs> gotta have a scripty. Uh, gotta watch dailies. You must watch dailies. We caught a mistake on the last day of shooting that would have required a reshoot. Okay. Because we just, just happened that one day to watch dailies always watch dailies even if you're doing a 16 hour shoot and you're exhausted watch dailies because you may have fucked up big time and okay. not realized it and that's easier to fix and, and shove it into the schedule than to tend to get into editing <laughs> and then have to go back and do reshoots right that's i mean that's it happens but that's you don't want it you don't want it. That's for the big boys. That's not for you. <laughs> you don't want to do reshoots. Uh, all right. Well, yeah, that's a good place to. It's a good place to end. Um, I don't learn anything ever. Just so you know, I, I just don't. <laughs> all right, that's fine. I mean, I learned from the documentary not to make a documentary, but that's about it. Yeah. Um, I I did some stage stuff, but what I learned from that is basically. The actors don't remember anything day to day. They don't. <laughs> so you really have to keep on them about learn your lines. We, you have to remember the fucking blocking, you idiot. And don't try to kill each other. Yeah, that too. That's that's all I got. That's all you got? That's all I got. Until I do something different, and then I'll fuck that up. So Alright, so I've, I've written for stage. I've written for screen. I've written just to to write uh and i've directed stage and screen and the fantasy fair which is its own fucking monster uh it is a little bit everything and i've directed uh all the way from amateur actors up to screen actors guild uh and here here's the truth nobody knows what they're doing they're all faking it 
we're all just trying to not fuck up so bad that somebody notices. Take it till you make it. Nobody knows what they're doing. Absolutely no one knows what they're doing. So you're you're you're, you're just fine. <laughs> whatever you're doing in whatever level of production, just don't fuck up so bad that it costs money. You're fine. <laughs> because I'm telling you, nobody knows what they're well, doing. Like I mentioned when we talked about the 48-hour film project, I was supposed to be the script supervisor, and I was like, how the fuck do you be a script supervisor? Yeah. And I looked it up on Wikipedia. I was like, oh, I'm in charge of a lot of important shit. Yeah. You didn't go, didn't come <laughs> on set and be like, all right, I learned this yesterday. Let's go. Let's fucking do it. Ah. Uh, yeah, I definitely, I learn, I learn the jobs uh, well by doing them. Like the documentary, uh, it wasn't. I didn't do a lot of directing in production, but I did do a lot of directing and editing. Yeah, and the voiceover, and I learned how to do voiceover. I've seen SAG actors do some dumb shit. <laughs> Just some dumb shit. Um, I also learned how to schedule in the documentary because there was a lot of things that had to be scheduled yeah. because you had to be certain places at certain times. Uh, I also learned about, you know, uh, doing camera angles in the documentary because we didn't want all the camera angles uh, to be the goddamn same. Right, so that's another thing I learned on this shoot particularly because it wasn't a narrative, so it was tough. We couldn't storyboard. Um, it You know, it's an instructional video. It's not a narrative. So I abused the fuck out of 180 rule, and a, a lot of times, uh, the shots were too similar, and had to entire day reshoots. Yeah, because the shots were just too similar to each other, and in editing, that looks awful. Yeah, and in in the documentary, we had the luxury of time when it came to watching dailies. Yeah, and we were like, okay, we got this shot. Now we need it from a different angle. And the stuff we were filming, at least on site for the fair, was similar enough where we could take different angles and the characters still look the same because they're all dressed the same. They're doing the same moves. Mm -hmm. So we could take this, the different shots. Stuff that we couldn't get another time, like interviews and whatnot. Yeah, that's you're you locked in. You're one that. and done. Yeah. There's nothing you can do about that. Yeah, you're so stuck like, with what you have. Uh, we, were at, we were interviewing uh, the fight choreographer. Oh, okay. And we, after we shot, we discovered that his close-up was too close. It was too close. <laughs> we also found another, there was another interview where the color balance was so awful. Oh my god. It was like everything was on fire. Yeah. It was just all orange tint. Yeah. Can't fix it. Nothing you can do about it. You either scrap the interview. Yep. Or put it in and hope you can color correct. Yeah. Because that's it, you're done. A lot of, a lot of documentary stuff is, <laughs> once you shoot it... Yep. That's your shot, man. That's all you get until, you know, you decide you don't want to use it. We got a bunch of footage from a couple of fairs that we couldn't even use because it wasn't part of the story at that point anymore. Yeah. And, and that happens. Yeah. Because uh, what is going to happen, and I know this is quickly becoming a podcast about making movies because that's all I talk about, but uh, what's going to happen to you? Is you're gonna you're gonna finish principal photography and then you're going to go into pre production something's gonna be or post you're gonna go into post production something's gonna be really wrong. <laughs> you're gonna have to go back and do reshoots. Well, which is why I wanted to schedule the yeah a, a week yeah. at least a weekend of reshoots anyway, just in case. You're gonna have to go back and do reshoots, and you won't know until 
you're pretty close to an edit. Yeah. You're, until you're pretty close to a first draft, you won't know. You can't tell by you can't always tell by watching the footage. Yeah. Uh, My thought would be, do principal photography, and then start to edit, like get into putting like daily. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what you should do too. I mean, if you have an if you have a hard line to an editor, or if you're the editor and you just don't want to sleep for a month, <laughs> you should be editing as you're shooting. Um. So you will you will get through photography and then you'll go into post and something will fuck up. You'll yeah. have to do reshoots. And then what you should be doing, what you can't do now anymore, but what you should be doing is having a test screening yeah. with questionnaire cards. And then you should do reshoots again. Yeah. Uh, depending on what people say. Because you don't know what, what an audience is going to... And this happens all the time where they, they, there's test screenings. And then they go back and do two weeks of reshoots. Yeah. Um, because the audience didn't like something or thought something was too much or didn't get something and they'll go over and reshoot. Um, it's not like a guessing game. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's it for this episode. Nick! Um, as the thing kicks on? Yeah, as the thing kicks on. So, once again, if you want to follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash the writer's basement podcast and like and share and then email us at the writer's basement podcast at gmail.com with your rants and questions and whatever else you can think to send us uh and follow us on itunes and spotify and all that fun jazz and like us on patreon and become a patron of the show so you can get awesome bonus content that we will provide to you directly into your brain Yes. Goodbye.